Hello and welcome to How to Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting a company. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next or never. Hosted by me, Juliet Fallowfield, founder of PR consultancy for startups Fallowfield and Mason. As we've been working alongside the pandemic for nearly two years, I wanted to interview founders who started their businesses in March 2020 and beyond, as anyone starting to think about founding a business will know no other world to operate in. As we know, this whole new world has thrown us curveballs, but not all of them are negative. So I'm hoping that hearing from recent founders with up-to-date work experience, so to speak, will really support more people in starting up. In this episode, we hear from Olivia DeRamus, founder and CEO of Communia. Olivia started Communia after surviving a serious sexual assault, and she's created a social networking app to empower women, transgender and non-binary individuals to share experiences and seek advice and make new connections when they need it. Through the social network, Olivia now facilitates a community to support those who have overcome similar situations on topics including mental health and well-being. Olivia shares with us advice as to why it doesn't matter what age you are when you decide to start a company and why it's very important to look through the legalities at the beginning before you get going. Hi, Olivia. It is wonderful to have you on How to Start Up today. It would be great if you could start with an introduction as to who you are and a bit about the company you started. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Uh, My name is Olivia DeRamus. I'm the founder and CEO of Communia and Restless Network. Communia is a social networking app and self-development platform for women. And women can come to the app to talk about anything they like, but particularly uh, traditionally taboo subjects like Me Too, mental health, sex and relationships, career, money, work, um, really whatever it is that's on their mind. And the concept is that you can really talk about these things and actually get real advice back. And it's in an environment where it's constructed to serve these conversations. So it feels a lot safer and a lot more intimate than other platforms like Facebook or Instagram. Well, that's incredible. And what year did you start this? So we started in 2019. It at once feels like a very long journey, but also a very short journey still. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure a lot of founders feel that way. Yeah. Two seconds in 20 years all at once. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And yeah, it's been a long journey. We didn't initially start out um, as an app. It was really more of a personal project. So it wasn't this big take over the world plan that, to be honest, I'm, I'm hoping for now. <laughs> well, I was going to say, why did you start this? What was the reasoning behind starting your own company? Yeah. So when I started it, I uh, was just graduating my undergrad degree and I was actually going through a, quite a difficult time. When I was a freshman in college, I was actually sexually assaulted. And even though I reported it and was found in the right, um, my assaulter actually ended up suing me in court for defamation just because I reported him. What? Um, and so what happened? Yeah, crazy. I'm <laughs> um, so sorry. That's okay. You know, um, it, it was a tough journey, but um, I ended up coming through it on the other side. And yeah, so I actually, I started the business out of that time because for years I, I actually, because of that, couldn't talk um, to anyone about what was happening to me. So I was very isolated and I really didn't have access to support or information because it was actually dangerous for me to talk about it with anyone. Anyone who I confided in could have been brought into the court case. And I certainly couldn't talk about it on you know social media platforms. So you were in this very horrible phase of having to deal with something, but also trying to take it through the courts. But that meant you wouldn't be able to talk to anyone about it. So even more isolated. Yeah. 
Definitely. And especially because I was the person being sued, it wasn't like I had actually sued him. Oh, um, so yeah, it, so it was quite tough. You know, when it started, I was 19. I was still in my early 20s all through this period and, you know, quite vulnerable, really needed support again. And like, that's why everything that Communia does is around providing women with support because, you know, whether it's like a sexual assault, like I went through and, and the crazy story around it, or, you know, something to do with mental health or in your relationship, there's just really not enough support out there. And I certainly learned that the hard way. But yeah, I mean, back to how it started in your question, I really started it because at a certain point, I realized that the justice system was just never going to protect me, even though the truth was on my side. And I had to start like figuring out how I could start to feel empowered again. And I really had to get creative to do that. So I thought that, okay, I can't talk about what's going on with me, but maybe I can create something. And I wasn't sure what it would look like that could facilitate the stories and support of other women. And through that, I would start to feel better again. And yes, happily, I did start to feel better again. It came to a close, which is why I can talk about it. Again, very happy to report that through this whole journey since um, I've been able to make a full recovery and I'm very happy. So it has a happy ending for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, firstly, I'm just incredibly sorry that you had to experience like something like that, but hats off to you to turning it into something that has rebuilt you and given you that confidence and faith in the world. It's hugely impressive. Faced with that emotional trauma that you were dealing with, like what did you do first? Because starting a company is not for the faint hearted. You need, you know, some resilience. How did you juggle that? Yeah, so I think actually I had already gone through so much scary stuff and was continuing to do so that starting a business to me didn't really seem as scary as it should have. Like looking back on it, I definitely should have been a lot more intimidated than I was, right? Um, and I also didn't originally look at it like a business. But that being said, I still, you know, the first thing I did, I still registered the business. It's really easy, whether you're in the US or the UK. But outside of that, to be honest, um, looking back on it, if I were to do things now, knowing what I know now, I would have gotten about it in a, a lot more of a methodical way. <laughs> it was, well, it's the famous expression, like experience is what you get after you've needed it. And hindsight is a wonderful thing when you go, oh, if I'd known that, I'd have done it differently. But what what is your big moment of if I'd known that I'd have done it differently. I think I, you know, I was smart. I, I did our social media channels early. Like that was one of the other first things that I did. And, and I credit that a lot uh, with our success, right? Being really out there on Instagram in particular. Was that because community obviously is so fundamental to the business? Yeah. And, but the thing is like, we've had like three different rebrands, right? And like, it's fine that we did that because now actually the most recent rebrand I'm, I really feel is the ultimate kind of expression of who we are as a company, but it's always ideal to start off with the visuals being exactly what you're trying to express. And I would even say, you know, it might even be better to wait until you really feel like you have the visuals nailed down. Because even if you don't have everything figured out, if you're able to creatively express who you are, then the rest will follow. And it can be a real emotional frustration not to feel like you can properly communicate that, you know, and, and, and constantly trying to have to like switch things around or do a rebrand. So the amount of relief and happiness I feel at finally having a brand visual identity that says exactly what I want to say is I really wish I had that earlier. Do you think that you would have got to where you are with the branding that you have today without going through those two previous iterations? 
That's a good point. I mean, I think some people have a really strong visual language and can express that. That's not my area. Like I have a degree in international relations, so I'm really not naturally a creative person. People are always saying, don't be afraid to start. And I totally agree with that. But also I would, on the other hand, say, don't be afraid to take your time and and really, you know, nail down those key tenets of your business beforehand. Yeah, it's really difficult because you're running at all things all day, all the time and layer in a layer of stress and tiredness. And sometimes you definitely can't see the wood for the trees. And that's where people have told me is like pay an expert if someone's better at it. At what point in your startup journey did you realize what you needed to outsource? So I did get lucky early on in being introduced to some awesome freelancers. And again, like freelancers are life for any founder in an early startup journey. I haven't met a lot of founders who've been able to hire full-time people like out of the gate. So I would always recommend heavily networking with freelancers because it's a great way to bring in experts who know more than you in certain subjects without having to go out and raise uh, VC money right out of the gate, which, which I've actually never done. So you started in 2019 and you've built a company called Restless and then recently launched Communia underneath Restless. What gave you that impetus to pull them apart? You know, honestly, we wouldn't have changed the name if we didn't have to. But really, it happened because um, a couple of months before Christmas, we were approached by another business who claimed that um, we were infringing on their trademark. And it's something that I didn't agree with. None of us agreed with. But that being said, the more we looked into uh, the legal technicalities of IP law and trademark law, the more we realized that it would have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars just to defend ourselves. And if we had gone through that whole legal process and lost, we would then be held accountable for their entire legal bills. Of And again, we don't have VC money. I think if we were in a position where we did, we could have defended it and we would have defended it like tooth and nail because I certainly do not agree with them. We did everything right. We had a trademark for two years um, and really did everything above board. But I think it really just came down to, you know, I had to choose is what the work we're doing more important or is the name more important, right? Because I couldn't afford to really do both. Uh, and, I, and I chose the work that we're doing. And I, I definitely feel good about that. And what if someone's sitting at the beginning going, well, I have a name, how do I check that I can use this? What would you advise them to do first? So um, I would tell anyone like get a really great small business lawyer. Um, there are so many reasons why you need one. Um, and again, like you don't have to go to like a big fancy firm, you know, the lawyer who helped us through this legal problem, like very much was not part of a huge firm at all. And really ask them like all the questions and they'll be able to tell you like every single step that you really wouldn't know if you were kind of trying to navigate it on your own. Again, like this is like the number one place where getting expert help is so worth it. (laughs) I was going to ask what, given everything that you had going on at the same time, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself since becoming self-employed? Yeah, I mean, not everyone loves running a business. And I'll be the first to admit, I my passion is not running a business. My passion is building 
the future that I envision for the business, providing the product that that we are, making a positive impact on women in a, in a way that I didn't have during my own difficult time. And so again, it's always really important who you surround yourself with, especially as you, as you grow and hiring, even, even when it's just freelancers and not a full-time team is just so key. And yeah, I can't do it alone and no one can do it alone. It'd be really interesting to find out, given that your age, you were really young when you started, is that something, because you went in straight from education, I believe, into doing your own thing. Is that something you'd recommend for people? Yeah, I never want to give the impression that you need to do your own thing to be successful or recover from a traumatic event. I really feel like I had a disadvantage, you know, going in from straight from university into my own thing, right? Because I didn't have, you know, I had internships, I had other work experience while I was in university, but I, I really didn't have a breadth of knowledge, I think, that I would have had if I had worked under, you know, another company, another employer for a longer period of time, right? Like you learn a lot. And you really don't have to feel like you have to do with things by a certain age. <laughs> and again, like if I didn't absolutely believe deeply about, you know, the product that I was building and what I was envisioning, I probably wouldn't be a founder, right? It's not for everyone. And like, that's totally fine. And it's also not something that you need to rush into whatsoever. And I would, I would always caveat all of my kind of like founder-esque discussions uh, with that because <laughs> I think it's really important, right? There's a lot of toxic hustle culture out there and I, I'm not trying to add to it. <laughs> <laughs> and given how busy you are and how many things you have to think about and potentially quite a lot of pressure on your shoulders on a day-to-day basis, how do you structure your day or draw boundaries around that work-life balance? Yeah, I mean, I only started using a planner in the past probably six months. And honestly, it's really changed my life. And it's partially, you know, why I'm really excited about this community of self launch, because you really don't realize like how much visual structure you need in your day. Even if you're, you know, you like living in the mess, like I, I generally like kind of winging things. But having that kind of visual structure that you can see and tick off, it, it really does kind of change your productivity and also helps you stay calm amidst you know, any number of things that might that might come up. And it's it's a small tip, but honestly, it's really improved my work life for sure. In terms of growing the business, you've got a team around you now, like how did you work out how to recruit people? Instagram is my best friend. And also actually LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn is such an underutilized tool. Like even people who are doing their own thing, I know, especially a lot of women, I feel like LinkedIn comes across as quite like a masculine platform, which it is. And again, it's another reason why we need more social networks catered to women. But it, it really is great. And all of their search features, and I would just like cold message people. I really didn't wait for people to kind of like find me and pitch themselves. And, and people have done that. And I found really great people to work with through that. But again, I think with any aspect of business, it's all about initiative, right? Like you're, there are so many companies and, and founders and startups looking for great talent. You're not as special as you think you are. So you've really got to pitch yourself. <laughs> Given initiative is so important in your day to day, it problem solves, it finds you the right connections. I find initiative when it's firing is amazing and it, it solves so many things within my day to day. But um, if I'm tired or I haven't exercised or I haven't looked after my personal self, my professional self definitely suffers. What do you do to feed that initiative if you're feeling a bit of a low ebb? Yes, great question. Um, I actually just moved to France. Congratulations. Um, speaking of this, um, for that reason, spent the 
the whole pandemic working on my business, staring at the same four walls, felt very burnt out, just really needed a change. And again, I think sometimes just changing your environment, you don't have to do anything as dramatic as moving to France, though would recommend I'm very much enjoying it so far can really, really help kind of refresh your mind. But even outside of that, I, I'm a big proponent of going on walks. And I know on social media, actually, like, rich mom walks or whatever is becoming a thing. But it's very much more than a trend. It's just something about kind of solving problems and giving yourself like room to breathe while kind of on the move is really effective, I think, for, you know, not only your health, which is really important for anything, especially running a business, but also just for like, problem solving. I mean, most of the problems that I encounter in my business that I have to resolve really quickly, I don't do that at a desk. You know, I get my best ideas from from moving around. I, I really kind of fell into this thinking trap, like I have to be chained to my desk. Yeah, the laptop guilt. <laughs> yeah, but it's not true. It's not true. And actually, you can get all of the brainstorms that you really desperately need, I think a lot quicker, if you allow yourself right to have room to breathe, right, and to do other activities. And even when you're not thinking about it, like your subconscious is still working on it. Like, I feel like that sounds kind of counterintuitive, but I promise it's true. Oh, I 100% agree. And for me, it was coming to a co working space and having incidental conversations with random people that you would never think it's like, I should be at my desk, I've got more emails. I'm now at peace of the fact I'm always going to have more emails to reply to, but I've never yeah. regretted a conversation. <laughs> it could be meeting a friend next door that's got a dog or talking about something that invariably leads to a problem that you're trying to solve. If you've got the problem at the forefront of your brain, your brain will try and sort it for you. So I, I totally agree stepping away from your laptop is absolutely game changing. I really have to force myself to do it. And any last golden nugget pieces of advice you'd like to offer a new founder on what to do now, next or never? Yeah, I mean, I would say again, always make sure you've protected your IP, you've done your trademark very early, looked into all the legalities. But then also, I think, again, there's this kind of cultural pressure to be a certain kind of founder, to lead in a certain kind of way. And that doesn't really encourage, you know, empathy, or kind of thinking about, you know, what other people need. And I would always say like, you're constantly talking to people, you're, you're constantly making asks as a founder, I no matter how successful you are. And I think it's really important to always remember that like, other people have needs too. So, you know, when you're, you know, trying to make a deal, or you're trying to eat, like, ask, you know, ask someone to be your mentor, or like, whatever it is, I think it's really, really vital to success to think about you know, what that other person needs, not just about what you need and, and what your company needs. Like, how can you also serve a potential business partner or serve a potential investor or serve a potential, you know, whoever it is that you're that you're asking something from? Because you're always making an ask if you're a founder, yeah. for sure. <laughs> it's very true. You have to get comfortable with that pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Olivia. It's been wonderful chatting to you. Thank you for all of your advice and huge congratulations on achieving everything you have at such a young stage of your career. And off the back of everything you had to go through, I have a lot of admiration for it. Thanks so much. And thanks for having me on. If you'd like to contact Olivia, you'll find all of her details in the show notes, along with a recap of the advice she has so kindly shared. Thank you for listening to How to Start Up. I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement and reassurance that you're on the right track. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd be so appreciative if you were to rate, review and subscribe as it will really help other people starting a company discover it.